Now, when we talk about blood and redemption and so on, there are many people who profess to be Christians who just do not like this talk. They don't like how it's described. They really want a Christianity almost without redemption. They'll ask questions like, why do you speak about guilt? The answer is, because the Bible does. <coughs> we enjoy access to God our Father purely and simply because we have been redeemed and forgiven. So, I want to look at just, as I say, these uh, two things, redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sins, and then just to say something about the riches of God's grace, the phrase that's used there. We have redemption through His blood. Um, I should have asked Steve this. Steve, I don't know if you remember, but you told me that you uh, hated the word saved. Is that correct? You people? Yeah. When, when people… Yeah. No. <laughs> so, hated the word saved, hated the word born again. Now, you see, the saved word, I, I, I didn't… But then when we, we spoke about this before, you see, and, and then I, I got what he was saying. It's not a word that I've used, used a lot, saved. Um, redemption is really just saved. And I, again, we're not telling tales out of store, but you said how you'd, you'd really grown to like the word saved because that's what you are. So <laughs> I thought that was a brilliant way of describing it. Um, and redemption is one of those words that is used in a religious context, and we rarely use it in any other context. In reality as well, in the New Testament times, the, the word that Paul uses here is a very, very rare word. It's a very unusual word in Greek, and yet it's used ten times in the New Testament, seven times by Paul. And it carries this idea of deliverance by payment of a price. When it was used at all, it was a technical term that was used to describe the freeing of slaves, that if you had a slave and you wanted to redeem them, you were basically buying them back. Now, Paul, without any shame at all, uses that of Christians, which again is, is, is quite interesting because there was a, obviously a stigma to being a slave in that society, and yet Paul is quite happy to use the language of slavery and the language of the slave to describe the Christian. First Corinthians, for example, in chapter uh, 6 and verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And the word he uses there is the word redeemed, the same word we've got in Ephesians. Therefore, honor God with your body. Same thing happens again in 1 Corinthians and chapter 7 and verse 23, where we read this, you were bought at a price, do not become slaves of men. You belong to Jesus, in other words. He says, don't sell yourself into slavery with other human beings. And it's this great idea that we have been purchased by Jesus Christ. We are being called to be free, but we have been purchased by Jesus Christ. And I just want you to stop and to think about what that means. I don't want to be bought by anybody. I mean, we've had a slave auction here, which was great. And um, actually, our slaves, if you haven't, by the way, got your slaves to do whatever they did, promise to do, 
uh, get them onto it, but the, the ones that we purchased came up and did a great job in our garden. Thank you, Mr. Miller, and your son-in-law. It was great. In fact, did such a good job, I think you should come back. Um, but we, we really don't like the idea of being uh, bought. Uh, can you imagine uh, if, you, if this was to happen, if someone was to come up to you, if you're a, a, uh, a young girl and, uh, or a young lady, and a man comes up to you and says, come on, we're going out for a date. I bought you. It's, you, you don't, we don't like that idea. But the idea here is just so wonderfully different in this respect. It's that we were slaves, and Jesus bought our freedom. We've been set free to serve the living God. And we've been bought at a price, and the price is extraordinary. We have redemption through His blood. That is unbelievable. Firstly, that I was so enslaved, that you're so enslaved, that it took something so precious and so valuable as the blood that is the life of the Son of God to set you free. Nothing else could set you free. And if you wonder sometimes how horrible sin is, you just need to think that in order to set you free, it required the blood of the Son of God. We sing sometimes how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. That is really such an extraordinary and such a wonderful thing. And when we take communion, that is what we are saying. We're saying we're redeemed. We're saying we're saved. We're saying we've been bought back. We're saying that we belong to Jesus. And the second part of that is the forgiveness of sins. In, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Why is this together with redemption? Because the forgive, redemption is the forgiveness of sins. Redemption is being rescued from the power and the punishment of sin, from the just judgment of God for our sins. Redemption is from the bondage of sin, including, including a resolution of the power of guilt. There is a price to be paid for breaking the law of God. It is an extraordinary uh, thing to do to break God's law. It involves an infinite punishment. God takes sin seriously. There is a real… it's an unusual word that's used for sin. Look at across to chapter 2 and verse 1. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. You are, you are, your sins have killed you spiritually. But look at what has happened. You have been made alive. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14, which is very similar to this, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And Paul, earlier on in Romans, or perhaps even it might have been later when he actually wrote it, but in Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. 
Christ, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he'd left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. What that just simply means is this. It means that Christ redeemed us by paying the price that we owed for our sins. He paid a debt He did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. Now, there are so many implications in that, and I just want to take a couple of them. First is this. There's nothing left for you to pay. That is extremely important. You, um, Steve was talking about coming from a Catholic tradition, and there are many good things in that tradition, but there are some things that are not so good, and one of them is the whole guilt thing, and also the, the idea of keeping making penance and atonement and again and again and again and again. The extraordinary thing of what we celebrate in the communion through the death of Christ simply means this, that there is nothing that you could do that could make God love you more, and there is nothing that you could do that could make God love you less. And the more you think about that, the harder that is to really get hold of and to apply. But there is nothing for you to pay. You are free. You have been set free. Every guilt, every sin that you have committed in the past, every thought, every deed, every action, you have been set free. We are forgiven. And that's just such an enormous benefit of being a believer. So, we have redemption through His blood. We have the forgiveness of sins. And it's back uh, at the end of verse 7, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He's lavished on us. Grace is God being gracious and God acting graciously. It is God taking the initiative. And again, the emphasis in this whole passage in Ephesians, and we, last Sunday morning we looked at this, and for some people it was quite difficult but seeing, but God does this, and God does this, and God, what do I do? And the answer is, it's God who takes the initiative. I mean, um, neither myself nor Steve or anyone else sit down and say, right, here's a plan. This is the course we're going to do. This is the church we're going to go through. This is all that's going to happen. Um, when we were sitting through in the elders' room there, uh, it was quite funny, Steve, when you said uh, to Stephen Allen, I bet you never expected to see this happening. Uh, even funnier, Stephen's actions, no. <laughs> Lack of faith from the elders, but uh, it was, that, that is true. We, you, we don't know. That's the wonderful thing about being a Christian. We don't know how God's going to work. We don't have a formula that we can tick the boxes or we say, if we just do this and we just do this and we just do this, it will work. And that makes us a little bit scared because it sounds as though we're, we're, we're worshiping a God who's capricious, who does what He wants and doesn't care about us. But that's not the point. The point is He is a God who actually does care about us. It's from His grace. This is what God has done. Sometimes we are incredibly quick to blame God for not acting or the bad things that happen, and yet how reluctant we are to give Him credit and praise for when He has acted. And He's acted in Christ. He's lavished this forgiveness and this redemption on us. He's multiplied it. 
in chapter 1 and verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He's called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Chapter 2 and verse 7, in order that the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed to us in His kindness in Christ Jesus. Chapter 3 and verse 8, although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul says, I've been asked to preach something that we can't even find. And he's saying, this is just, this is grace upon grace. It's the wealth of His glory. Romans 2 verse 4, the wealth of His kindness. Romans 9 verse 23, the wealth of His glory. Romans 11 23, the wealth of God's wisdom and knowledge. These riches are incredible, and if you are a believer, you are incredibly rich. I'm sure it would be a tremendous feeling for you tomorrow to wake up and to go to the bank. I don't know if you've ever had this fantasy, and you go, and you go to the bank manager, and you say to the bank manager, uh, I need to take out a loan, I need to do this, and the, your bank manager goes, no, I'm sorry, Miss So-and-so, you don't need to do that. Uh, there has been a million pounds deposited in your account last night. You are just going to be so elated and so happy with that, and all of us would be. Wow, did that really happen? And what God is telling us tonight, and what God is telling you tonight is, you are discouraged about some things, you're, you're tired of some things, you're wounded with some things, you, you feel poor, you feel broken, you feel so many different things, and God says to you, but look, there is this massive deposit in your account, this massive deposit, these incredible riches that you have got. Calvin says about this verse, would that men's minds were steeped in the riches of grace, which is here commended. When God sends His word of salvation, He not only waters us for the health of our souls, but He causes us to drink so deeply that we can be completely satisfied. As often as the gospel is preached, so often is God's grace poured out upon us. It's an extraordinary thing to have. You just feel sometimes so weak and so empty and so worn out, and yet you have these extraordinary riches that come. I mean, I love uh, listening to people's stories and different things that happen, and I love what God has been doing in this church and the different people that you get to meet, and uh, I, I just love the individuality of people and how God changes people, not by turning them into clones. And, you know, um, poor Steve wasn't up here, you know, in a three-piece suit. Um, changing his accent and doing all the rest of it. To me, it's just great to, to hear the different ways that God works because it is all about Christ. Becoming a Christian is something that liberates us and sets us free because Christ piles His riches upon us. And please remember, it does all come in Christ, doesn't it? It's not buying a ticket. It's having a relationship with the giver. Paul says this is all given us by God. It's His purpose and plan. That's why he says, look, it's done with all wisdom and standing. Verse 8, He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. This is not a God who gives a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, reluctantly, reluctantly. Go on, you've got to get some more. You've got to get some more. You'll earn. This is a God who lavishes riches upon us that they are so vast we are incapable of understanding. No eye has seen 
No mind has conceived, no ear has heard the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. It's not impetuous. This is God thinking ahead. Uh, we had, we're delighted to hear that the Murdochs had a baby on Saturday called Sophia. That's the word that's used here, wisdom. God's given it us with all wisdom and understanding. He knows what He's doing. Sometimes you might get somebody who's very generous, who gives things out, and they haven't a clue what they're doing. They're giving money to people who go waste it, or giving things to people who might destroy them and don't know how to use them. God has planned all this with wisdom. He's not only given us Christ, He's given us everything that comes along with that, including the wisdom and understanding. He lavished it on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He's done it, remember, so that we would be holy. As Christians, we have an immense privilege and therefore a constant challenge. The God who has wisdom and understanding, He works out His plan. He's also the one who gives us wisdom and understanding. Again, across in Colossians, which is the sister epistle of this letter, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, we read this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding. And that's not so that you can be dead brainy. It's not so that you can answer lots of questions. It's so that you can, he says, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. The spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding the Holy Spirit is given to us. It's not just that, I mean, we, we discuss things, we look at things, we do Christianity Explored, we, we do the Life of Christ course, we come to church, we hear things, we use our minds, we relate in the, within the community of God's people, but it takes the Spirit of God. Otherwise, we don't even see the kingdom of God. And what's happening to you when that happens is you, you're just going, whoa, how did I see this? Or how did I not see this? Isn't this wonderful? It's God working within us. And I think we need, as Christians, to remind ourselves again and again and again just precisely what it is that God has given us. In fact, I don't think precisely we can do it because I don't think we can ever plumb the depths and the wonder of what God has given us. But you and I know what our human nature is like. We put things in a box, we put things in a compartment, we lock them away, at least mentally or emotionally, and they no longer invigorate us or move us or inspire us. And yet, this is what should do. This is what should surely be happening. We have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. If you are not a Christian, if you have not grasped this, then I would urge you to do so. God is gracious to you, bringing you here to hear His Word. If you are a Christian and you've lost sight of this, then I would urge you to look again at what Christ has done. And if you're feeling discouraged and flattened and just, 
just a bit bleh with things in general. Move away. Take your eyes off where you're at just now, where you are at just now. Take your eyes off that and instead think of this, that you are completely forgiven, you are completely redeemed, you are completely free, and God knows what He's doing. He's done it with all wisdom and understanding, and He's lavished His grace upon you. I love C.S. Lewis's illustration, uh, talking to, about to non-Christians, but also I think it applies to Christians, where he says that so many of us are like the kid who is in their wee back garden, just a tiny wee back garden, and all they've got is a mud pit, and they've got a bucket and spade, and they're in that mud pit. And yeah, they're quite happy mucking around with it and so on. But when God has instead offered to take us to the beach with miles and miles of sand, as much as we could want to dig and to play with clean water, with warm sunshine, and Lewis argues that we, we find ourselves wallowing in our own mud pit rather than lifting our eyes and seeing just the, the wonders, some of the wonders of what Christ has given us. I don't want in any way to make you feel bad because you feel bad about the bad things that are happening to you. I don't contradict that, and I don't say those feelings are false or wrong. But we have to look beyond them. We have to see that no matter what good things happen to you tomorrow, there is nothing that is more important and will give you more joy than the redemption through the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins lavished upon us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You for evidence of its power in our midst. We ask that each of us would know and be able to reflect on that as we sit at Your table just now. In Your name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.